Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Fellas, I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> Guess who's back? Sharon's back. Uh, uh, we've got a, first of all, before we get started on the show, I have a lot of people. First, I want to thank all the fans who reached out on social media to check on me after after the after the rather painful and frightening medical episode that I had last week. Um, I, uh, I I want to thank the p- folks at Oviedo Medical Center who took great care of me um, while I was out. Just to just to clarify, so everybody knows. So obviously, if you remember, I did not do PA for the football game on Friday. And I was not on the podcast last week because um, on last Tuesday, I got rushed to the hospital with a, a, a bleeding ulcer. Trust me when I tell you it's not because of UCF nor because of the Giants, but uh, it's it, it was uh, it's something that's been um, that that I Aaron Boone contract extension. It wasn't, no, it was an Aaron Boone's contract extension. No, it, it was something that so I've been suffering from some back for some really bad back trouble for a while, and uh, and and I kind of may have taken a little bit too much ibuprofen <laughs> on an <laughs> empty stomach on an empty stomach and uh and it, it, it which which i think is is not what it's not what triggered it but kind of pushed everything over the edge uh or at least that's what the gi said so um so there i was in the hospital and then of course my in addition i need a back operation which will happen later this year but i will be fi- i will be finishing football season i just want to let everybody know and starting basketball season for PA, but I'm, I'm back here for the podcast because I don't have to, you know, walk around too much. I just got, I just got to take it easy. Right. I just, it's, that's, that's what they say. You just got to take it easy until I get, uh, until I can get to the, until I can get to that spinal surgery. And then, and then I should be, I should be fine. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm basically 80 is what, is what I'm saying. <laughs> So, Damn but I'm glad to be back here. With, lawn. I know, yeah. So I'm glad to be back here with you guys, though. Space Game was a success. A big, huge shout out to Pat Hernan who filled in for me on rather short notice. Um, thank you, Pat. Yeah, Pat's a pro. I've known Pat. We, we, all of us have known Pat basically our entire UCF lives uh, because he's you know normally the press box internal press box PA, and he keeps stats and. Uh, he's worked with bright. He works with everybody. He works with the bucks. He's, he's good. Uh, he's good. He's such a pro and Pat, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate you 
for uh, for picking me up. But I uh, but I it'll be back to your normal role as usual. Uh, and I'll be uh, I'll be back uh, uh, on the mic in the bounce house on uh, on Saturday, the sixth for Tulane. So yeah, I don't I don't know who subbed for Pat inside the press box but he's not as good as Pat. <laughs> hey, listen, let's be nice. Let's we're, everyone was forced into action and on, no, on everything worked in, in out difficult really circumstances, but it worked out. Okay. And uh, I'm doing well. And again, thanks to everyone for reaching out. It, it meant so, let me tell you something. I was, I was almost in tears last week, just seeing the, cause I, I, I would wake up from the, drug induced stupor I was in. And, and I saw all these messages of support and um, man, I'm so thankful. I, you know, this, listen, UCF is the biggest university in the country, right? 70,000 plus students. It didn't feel that way to me as a student. And it doesn't feel that way to me now. It is a small, small place. And, uh, and you feel like, you know, everybody, and I'm so thankful to everyone. That's, that's why I fell in love with that, with the school. This place, this place, man. Hashtag this this place, right? Place. All right, enough of the enough of the um, sentimental stuff. Let's let, let's get to some football that we need to talk about. All right, space game against Memphis, total success, twenty four seven win for UCF. Uh, Drew, you were there. Um, Eric, you were watching as well. Um, Bryson, you were you were watching too. Um, uh, and we'll bring uh, we'll bring Bryson in a little bit uh, for just a little bit here to talk about it. But um, Drew, I want to start with you. This was. Uh, not the grind that the ECU game was, but it was kind of grindish, and it was the defense that uh, that that took care of business, and that was that was kind of nice to watch. Boy, they really stymied Memphis. Now, granted, they have some help because they were running back a quarterback out there, but still, you know, there, there's no arguing with the you know the four turnovers forced and holding your opponent to seven points. Well, there there's not, but you know, you you got to take the fact that that Memphis was without Seth Hennigan and that was a late scratch and that you know, it was a an upper body injury uh, but did not specify exactly I've got an upper body injury but anyway I've got an upper body injury it's called <laughs> you know too many blows to the head or something I don't know <laughs> I hang out with you guys uh, but I mean the truth is Peter Parrish comes in first collegiate action you know redshirt sophomore and I he he kind of looked the part you know, he didn't look as uncomfortable as, as Keen did, but I mean, he was skittish and they, you know, we expected Memphis to throw the ball a lot and they did, you know, perish 31 of 48 for 215 yards, 48 attempts for your redshirt sophomore quarterback. on a short. That's a big ask, man. And 48 attempts and only 215 yards. So I, yeah. he was the, the, the stuff they were completing and gaining wasn't big. There Sacked were no six big times plays. and he was picked three times too. Right. And two of those times were really nice tip drills in the end zone. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he was sacked six times. He lost about 39 yards on, on those sacks. He still ran the ball for 60 yards net uh, on the ground, 22 carries. I mean, he basically was a one man show. The thing I was surprised about was that they abandoned the running game. Brandon Thomas only carried it five times for 19 yards and he was your lead guy. And yeah. they, they didn't use them. Uh, it was it was really aside, aside from Parrish, you carried it 22 times, but he only exactly. gained 60 yards. So well, 60, 60 net. Um, 60 know, they, net. And, I, and, I, I, I can't freaking stand the college still puts the, the 
the the sack yardage and rush yards it just drives me crazy anyway sorry i that that's a college flaw but yeah the truth is 60 net when you you take uh, the sacks into consideration and a lot of those 22 yard uh 22 carries were pass plays that he just tucked and ran now there's a couple things i want to point out one of them was the outside containment which has been a problem all year well it was not a problem during this game most of those you know scrambles were stuff up the middle he tucked the ball and ran up the middle. And mm-hmm. while, you know, he was still extremely shifty and, and was able to avoid a lot of, a lot of tackles. It wasn't for bad technique. Uh, in fact, this was the best technique I've seen this year by far. Good open field tackles. Uh, Ricky Barber had a couple of big ones in uh, early. Yeah. Ricky was half. back. That was good to see. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he showed up and uh, he made a big, big impact on on one particular drive where on two different passing plays parish tucked it on a second and third down tucked it and ran and on both times uh, barber broke off and made an open field tackle because if he didn't that's seven eight nine yards easy mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, bryce armstrong had a good game uh, Devonte brown had a good game a lot of sound tackling i was really secondary impressed. was so good in this game I'll tell you, I, I, I called them on Twitter. I was like, man, all these guys are just absolute studs. And uh, I was really impressed with how well the secondary played, that he had nowhere to go with the football at all. Um, now, let, I want to flip it to the other side too, Drew, because um, obviously there are concerns on offense. Uh, believe it or not, Memphis, out, Memphis got seven more first downs than UCF, 24 to 17, although to be fair, six of those for Memphis were by penalty. Um, 215 rushing yards for UCF to 77 for Memphis on 41 carries, uh, as well. But, um, uh, passing was the passing game was a real struggle. Uh, look at the individual marks. Uh, Mikey Keene, um, didn't have the best game in the world. 11 and 19 for just 63 yards, one touchdown, but one interception. He was sacked once. Joey Gatewood was two for two, 17 yards and a touchdown. But, um, yeah, that was just a glorified sweep play. Yeah, were, really. They, yeah, they were basically um, that, that, that was four tosses. Right. It was a handoff that had to count as a forward pass uh, by technicality. Like Ryan O'Keefe, for example, that 17-yard touchdown run counted for 41 of his receiving yards when technically it was a rush. But um, what was the deal with the – was it just UCF being out of sync on offense, Drew? Or was it something that Memphis was doing? Well, I mean, th- this is kind of par for the course. I and mean, we've seen this. Uh, Keen, you know, doesn't generate yards. And he, you know, the yards per attempt is, is usually rather low. And a lot of his passes are short. And we saw what happened when, you, when he goes deep. The timing's not there. The chemistry's not there. He had one really deep pass. Uh, that was overthrown into double coverage in the end zone for an interception. Uh, you know, I thought that was his only like really bad decision, though, wasn't it? I I would say it was only really bad one. I'm, but I mean, he still didn't execute great. But in, in fairness, in fairness, it didn't help that the receivers had a number of drops. Uh, this oh, yeah, was probably one of the worst games that they've had from a drop standpoint this year. Just a lot of key drops, and uh, just. No one looked really comfortable. Keen only hit five different receivers. They largely abandoned the pass because they didn't have to. 
you know, they were, they were maintaining the lead. Uh, right. Isaiah Bowser back, still not a hundred percent, but he looked pretty good. 26 carries yeah. 111 yards. The Bowser factor is real. Teams you can, you can tell he was, I'm, I'm glad you said it. Cause you could tell he wasn't quite what we saw at the beginning of the year, but he's kind of getting back into it. Um, as, as he said, every day he's feeling a little bit better. Yeah. But he has well, work to do. 26, 26 carries. Let's see how much better he feels after that. But, you well, know, but I felt he should have been in the mid, mid to late fourth quarter. They're up three scores. I would have taken him out of the game. Uh, yeah. They were still running him late. And I thought that was a little bit of an unnecessary risk at that point. I would have rather seen more and more, more Mark Anthony Richards and just, you know, drain the clock. But you only saw him for, for one carry. The thing that, that, uh, I wanted to point out was the big plays. Memphis didn't have any. They had one pass of 34 yards. After that, there was no play in the entire game on Memphis's side that hit 20. They had a 19-yard run by Parrish, and that was it. It went down from there. Uh, in fact, it took until the second half for anyone to get a 20-yard gain in a single play. I mean, UCF's offense was pretty bad bad too and then the running game started to start to pick up in the second half which is what you expect you know that's like the navy effect you know you you run you run you run you wear a defense down and memphis had weaknesses in the linebackers and they started taking advantage of it in the second half you know ryan o'keefe with the big 31 yard score you start seeing johnny richardson start getting 20 a 20 yard carry and it just makes life a lot easier for for the offense which then makes life easier for the defense because they're getting more and more rest. If, if I'm correct, the amount this game had more time of possession, I think it was like 28 minutes and change than any other. And, you know, against East Carolina, it was about 27 and change. And, you know, the defense said that made a difference. You know, yeah. that rest is important. So and they, they held Memphis to, to, four or 14 on third downs too right I mean, well I, and I, well ucf's third down efficiency wasn't all that great three of 12 but it was two of 11 until that last third down conversion to ice the game so uh that is definitely an area that that coach melzahn has pointed out that needs a lot of work as if anyone's satisfied with that um you've got a problem yeah well perfect timing uh you get to go to temple <laughs> Yeah, what, uh, what a way to get the ship. Yeah, uh, I mean, this, this is the this is the stretch that you've been looking for. Now you got to go to Philadelphia. It's the day before thanks or Thanksgiving, the day before Halloween, uh, Saturday at noon kickoff on ESPN Plus uh, against the uh, shout out to Leger Duzerbol. We call in the game there for ESPN. Okay, Leger's doing the okay. Good, I, I like that. So Plus it'll uh, be an early night. It'll be an earlier night shift, so we don't have to go to bed at like midnight. <laughs> we'll call it mid afternoon shift. So I want to pull up the info on uh, Temple right now because they're, they're having a rough go of it, you know, to, <laughs> yeah. to say the least here. <laughs> they gave uh, up 421 yards to Temple. They made it look like USF had Marlon Mack back. USF, right? rather, you mean. Yeah, USF, whatever they are. I don't even know. Yeah. These are two alleged football programs that really shouldn't have football programs, probably should consider other sports. Hey, you, wow. USF is setting themselves up for a tough competition, just scheduling a home-and-home home with UConn. Hey, they're they're scheduling up. Yeah, someone had to get that one in there. So Temple right now is three and four. Uh, UCF on the road is a ten and a half point favorite right now. 
and 68% of the money, according to Odd Shark, is on uh, is on UCF. I, I uh, by the way, oh, funny 68%, story. 68%. I think that's a little low. Uh, well, funny story. Yesterday, all right. So, or not yesterday, but on Sunday, uh, the, the Giants were playing the Carolina Panthers, and PJ Walker entered the game late for for the Panthers, and I almost I, I my back seized up again because. Uh, because I heard that guy's name again. I'm like, oh my God. I started had, having like, you know, bad flashbacks. But uh, uh, PJ's not at Temple anymore, obviously. <laughs> uh, and uh, and here we are. So the chance for UCF to get another W here to get to five and three. All right. With Tulane coming on, coming in on homecoming on November the 6th. You know, you could possibly be, I don't want to look too far ahead here, but I'm going to do it anyway. Good possibility of being six and three heading into that SMU game on November the 13th. And as I check over on Twitter, Dylan Gabriel's Twitter account is showing a few still photographs of him working with, I think that's TJ Kinney over there and with his helmet on and, and working on his drops. And I think he's, he's probably working his way, trying to work his way back into the fold. So, so um, Drew and, and Eric and, and, and Bryce, and we'll start with Drew here. What do you think the odds are that we might see Dylan Gabriel for the for the SMU game, possibly? Well, I, I think the chances keep getting better and better. I, you know, traditionally that kind of injury takes, you know, six weeks, six to eight weeks. Six to eight weeks, right. And we're and the first see. four weeks, I remember from the hour time, you gotta basically just do nothing but keep it in a sling. Right. Eight weeks essentially is SMU weekend. So, right. you know, do the math. If he's not available to go SMU, expect him for your, for UConn the following week, which is, you know, uh, the week before uh, Black Friday. Nice little tune-up before uh, before Black Friday, right? Well, uh, I mean, tune-up. You, you make it sound like that, you know, <laughs> they're facing a tough team. <laughs> i as obviously smu the only team with a winning record still remain on the schedule uh you know temple is the next closest at three and four and then it just goes downhill from there uh, you know you don't expect him for the next couple games you don't want to rush him but that smu game if there's a time that you want dylan gabriel back that's the one yeah because if you, if you actually look at the standings and and to say it's likely is, is you know is is, is the biggest stretch of all stretches, but UCF technically is not. Oh, out of this. here not, we go. No, 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 listen, no, 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 Eric, don't you dare. Don't Eric, let, Eric, come on, don't let the fans. You got to think it like a player in which right. we still have something to play for. Yeah, that's we fine. Are, but here's the thing. They act in all seriousness. They need to focus on the tempo game because they're I'm not saying they're game. not. We're, we're acting like this team could just show up no, and be tempo. Well, never no, said I mean, that. never uh, said that. I, I think to me, the, the, the well, Dylan we thing. We never said that. Vegas did. But anyway. I think the, the Dylan thing, I think he's going to come back because he's, he doesn't want another year. Like, like people are like, wow, this could give him three years. No, he ain't sticking around for three years. No, Nor, it, you know, he so. doesn't want to stick here for 2022. I don't blame him for wanting to move on. But yeah. the truth is, if he doesn't get we meaningful playing don't. time, He's he's not going to cut it in the NFL from a draft standpoint because he needs to shake off the hypo system ish, uh, you know, well, issue and he hasn't had much opportunity yeah. to do well, that. Well, this well, I, I'll I'll make a counterpoint to that. Um, he doesn't turn twenty one until December. 
he's still 20 years old. And if I'm an NFL scout, like I'm looking at, and listen, if he, if he wants to go, God bless him, go for it, chase your dream. But I, I, if I'm an NFL scout, I'm like, I need more data. You know, well, that's I, what I need, this year was supposed to be. That's what this year was supposed to be. But here we are. Well, right? he can get that data, though, if he comes back here towards it's the end. Some, are you sure? I don't, I don't yeah. know if he's going to get enough. Let's say he comes back for SMU. Not, you know, it, okay, SMU is really the only quality team you play. Yeah. It's a, UConn Trey, Trey Lance got drafted third for playing one game. Like, we're we're acting like these no, scouts. Trey, yes, one game. He played one game, and he got the third. He moved up to the third pick. You would think only playing one game would hurt your stock. It actually helped his stock, which is bizarre. Yeah, that's bizarre. You're playing, you could, you could, you're playing UConn, which is a glorified scrimmage, and then you're playing yeah. and then you're playing South Florida at home. And a bowl game. Which is slightly more than that. And, and a, a bowl, bowl game. Okay. Where, which is where most quarterbacks really get uh, evaluated, and their stock either goes okay. way up okay. or okay. down. Okay, I see. All right, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Well, this is yeah. why a quality bowl game is so important. And I think the win against Memphis really, really yes, helped yes. with I, I I agree with that. I think that's yeah. why he's coming back. And you might have Jalen Robinson coming back too at the same time. Yeah, and look, he might come. Too. And by the way, he might. I'm not saying he's going to definitely leave. I'm saying he might come back and play next year. I'm saying he ain't going to be the quarterback in 2023 when they're in the Big 12. He ain't sticking around for that. Oh, that's, no, no, no. I think we both. Well, I think we yeah, well. I actually have a question about that. I there are kind of two things. The first bit, two things. The first big thing that I that coming with this team in the in the future because I took a look at this and I wanted to make sure that we got it because I have I'm wondering if with this with the season where it is. I took a look in 2018 when the NCAA changed the medical redshirt rule. This is what it says: the NCAA has two requirements for medical redshirt. The injury must have occurred in the first half of the season. And the athlete must have competed in less than 30% of the season. So the first, the first half of that is fulfilled. He had it in the Louisville game. That was in the first half of the season. He's, we're approaching the 30% of the season mark because he's competed in three games, the, the Boise, Bethune, and Louisville. So my question is, is that when you weigh this, do you think that preserving another season of eligibility for Dylan Gabriel down the line or do you go or do you go and play him back now? Because you only have like what UConn and like I, UConn and it, USF. It's not, I don't think it's a point. Keen. I don't think you need it. Uh, one, he's yeah. a junior. Right. Uh, so right. I, it's not like, you know, he, he didn't burn the regular cards. red shirt yet either. And, so. and, you know, he's never used a red shirt. So he's a true junior. So I, I don't think it's, it's, it really plays a material role in, in this. It's more of, you know, just how's his stock looking, you know, right. how's he feeling and everything like yeah. that. Uh, there's there's no way he sticks until 2023. No way. Because there's just no way. Because the longer you stay, actually, your stock gets hurt more. Uh, right. The because more you the, play. Because then because, the narrative becomes, what's the matter with him? Correct. Leinart syndrome. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's an extreme. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's a good Matt Leinart actually stock dropped by coming back an extra year. So sometimes staying is longer, but I think he wants to come back. I think they want to finish strong. They definitely want to win that last game of the season. I think oh, that's yeah. important. Oh yeah. Uh, and I think, look, they get Jalen Robinson back, but in the meantime, running the football with Bowser, I mean, Tep USF gave you the recipe, how to beat temple, run the football down to throats. This mm-hmm. it's not going to be exciting. This game is going to be boring. I would suggest entertaining yourself during the game because it's gonna, you know, this game will set football back ten years. But with the defense, says the guy com- who hates passing. But anyway, 
<laughs> but, well, we can't throw with this. Right now, we can't throw. We can't throw. I mean, we can't throw. I mean, that's just the reality. Well, you can throw, but I think the big thing is, is you got to throw to playmakers. Mikey Keene, like Mikey Keene can be a, an adequate game manager, but we've seen that he's not, maybe not really the best playmaker like Dylan Gabriel is. Not so yet. what we've seen with Isaiah Bowser, like Isaiah Bowser, that bruiser back and having him back in that workhorse role really played a big difference, I think. In this well, here's here's the thing, right? We we we, we get right. We, let me just say this: you get caught up in, hey, are they excited? Are they opening the ball up or not? The most important thing from an offensive standpoint is make sure your best players get the ball, and that's what the coaching staff did. They got Isaiah Bowser the ball, and they got Ryan O'Keefe the ball, and that's right. why they beat Memphis. And that's the key moving forward. Is it going to be artistic to some? Probably not, but it doesn't matter because as long as you get your best players the ball. That's the, the key to recipe to success. And for years before this, Dylan Gabriel was your best player. So you let him air it out 40, 40, 45 times because he was your best player. Currently, at this stage, the quarterback is not your best player. So you adapt, and that's what the staff has done. And, right. and you need, you know, uh, as, I, as I alluded to before, you need a good bowl game to really kind of put a bow on, on it. And you need a good matchup. So, you know, Yusef's going to want to hope for one of four games. That's the Birmingham Bowl, the Fenway Bowl, the Military Bowl, and the Gasparilla Bowl. Uh, because those on contract, on paper, are against Power 5 opponents. So you, you want something that has a little more cachet behind it, and you're not going to get that playing, you know, podunk you in the Cure Bowl. So that win... Well, sounds like Drew's warming up his bowl projections. He's warming up. Yeah. It's coming, so... You know, I actually had UCF picked for the military bowl before the season started. I'm still sticking with that right now. Uh, and, and that win against Memphis has really helped. I, I think that took them out of contention for the Hawaii bowl, which is a good thing. Uh, UCF does, you know, you don't want UCF in the Hawaii bowl. Sure. It's good for some players for a homecoming. It's bad for everything else. That's a 9,000 seat stadium. That's essentially high school quality that they're playing at because the Aloha bowl is being demolished and rebuilt and it's going to be, well, it's expensive. And it's uh, expensive. Aloha stadium, Aloha stadium, Aloha stadium, uh, Aloha stadium, torn down, building a new one. Uh, it's going to be at least three years for that to come up. And, and Hawaii is working on expanding this current little stadium just to seat 15,000 next year. And this is not a place you want to go for a bowl game. You know, but it's like expensive to- right now. That's the last thing you want to do post uh, where you're dealing with, a, you know, post budget issues with pandemics and stuff. You don't want to be going out to Hawaii and blow up your finances. I mean, it's expensive bowl game to go right. to. And all these these other four, you know, Alabama, uh, Tampa, Florida, you know, uh, Boston, Massachusetts, and and Annapolis. Those are all very very you know attainable locations all across the the eastern side. So I that would be more attractive for for UCF. It'd be good for fans to be able to get to. Um, I like the idea of Fenway or or uh, Annapolis. I think Annapolis is better because, you know, you don't have to play in a baseball stadium, which there's something fundamentally wrong with that. Uh, After so many games in Tropicana field, thankfully no game. You traditionalist you. Well, I used to cover the East West shrine game and they would have their games in Tropicana field. It was just a terrible Uh, place. Listen, listen, I, I, I like the trap for baseball. It's good for baseball, but it's it's not for football. Right. Right. But Playing a college football game in Fenway Park, even I admit as a Yankee fan, that's kind of cool. Well, you should go to the pinstripe bowl. That's even cooler. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> so, I just want the stadiums to implode, but that's neither here nor there. Well, <laughs> says the Indian fan in the room. Yes. But uh, I, well, listen. Yeah, there are a lot of options here. Okay, and I think that that's and I, and I think that's a good thing. But but, but you got to start with winning, beating Temple here. Beat beat Tulane. Got that? Let's go. We got let's, hey, let's beat Temple. Beat Tulane. Jalen Robinson is practicing. I mean, we've been we've been getting Ricky Barber back. We have Isaiah Bowser back. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully, but surely the wounds from that Louisville back. game are healing. Nature is nature is recovering. Or are the emotional wounds healing? I don't know. That's that 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 was that. That's still that's now. Still here's the real one. question for you guys to think about: Could it be possible that they end up with a rematch against the Louisville Cardinals in one of those bowl games? Oh, oh they'll never. They don't do. They don't do. They don't. They'll. They'll. No. They don't do bowl that's rematches. Rare. See, that's the worst rare. thing that ever happened was like Florida and Florida State rematched in a couple of bowl games, and everyone thinks that. Well, that was that atrocity. Was that was a, a travesty and a stealth and, and, you know, being an Ohio there's a Travis fan, mockery, the Travis sham mockery. I love yeah. that. Right. There's it, way too much bold talk. Right I blame now. Ohio state for that because is, it is I, almost I, November. I grew up as a Buckeye fan, but that they won that Rose bowl and it should have been Arizona state and Arizona state should have won the national title. And there should have been no question about it's your it. Fall. It's your butt is Ohio state's fall. Yeah, you you did it. Ohio state's fall. I watched that game. Jake. Mm-hmm. Plummer, so did I, man. Anyway. J- J- right. Jake, Pl- you guys owe Jake Plummer something. I don't know what it is, but you owe him something. An and NFL anyway. contract. Yeah. To get a couple of gigantic NFL contracts. Let me tell you. All <laughs> right. Well, uh, once again, to uh, reiterate for those of you watching at home, it will be uh, UCF against Temple on uh, ESPN plus noon on Saturday on, on ESPN plus. Uh, and uh, yeah, so UCF looks to get the victory over the three and four Temple Owls. And Drew, you're raising your hand. Why? Yes, I just want to point out some. You know, we talked about last this past week being the space game. Uh, it was here we go. Brandon Helwig made sure to ask everyone who came up what they thought about the space game. Oh, oh. there it is. There it is. So this is there where our season's is. been reduced to, huh? There that's, it is. That's hey, great. Hey. Big Cat yeah, Brian said, I wish I had more years of eligibility so I can play in more of these games. Uh, but but the, the big thing was everyone dug the chrome face mask, which was a new thing for you, Sam. It was a new chrome face mask was good. I liked it. It worked. I mean, uh, the, the Drew, you got, well, okay, real quick. Let's do the review of the uniforms right okay. now. You, Drew, uh, you're the expert on this. We've had five of them. Where does this one rank? Uh, I put this one kind of uh, slightly into third, but not for anything that they did a part of it is you know with the white helmet issue that ucf's having this year it kind of handicaps things a little bit mm-hmm. the chrome decal uh, in my opinion did not work with the white helmet because you couldn't yeah it doesn't it. pop it, it doesn't, doesn't pop. pop yeah and but i can't i can't really blame them for that that's not ucf's fault uh, there was a fire at the factory and ucf stuck with very limited supply that's why all the helmets have been white this year uh, the supply you know they don't, just don't have any others uh, the uniform itself was incredibly clean, by far the cleanest of all the uniforms that they've worn so far. Uh, you know, it just it just matched really well. I thought the numbers, the creativity of the numbers was one of the most. Innovative yeah, the shuttle things. tiles. That was that was yeah. pretty cool. That was one of the most innovative things they've done in all the five years that they've done this. Uh, I still put 2018 as as the bar. That's still the top dog. Uh, was top to bottom, just the complete package, you know, 19, a little behind that. And then 21 followed by 20. And of course, 17 was just a regular uniform with a, with a patch on it. They didn't have 
that kind of mindset until the next year. But I mean, it was a good uniform. It, it was a good uniform, you know, obviously a one-time use. And I'm looking forward to what they can do next time because there could be a new uh, a new manufacturer. Now, granted, all the designs are done in-house. So, right. you know, you work with- It's all with, in-house. It's all in-house. So I, I, you know, while it's, you know, comes out on a, a, a Nike jersey, the designing is all uh, done within UCF's, you know, you know, branding facility. Oh, yeah, the, the, the factory in the back. It's, it's, <laughs> it's pretty cool. A couple of things I would love to see. Uh, next year, all right, 2022. So we're looking at, let's see, what, what sort of, I'm pretty good at knowing your space anniversaries, right? So 1972 was the last mission, was the last Apollo mission to the moon. Um, and that, you know, this, which you had those moon helmets, don't you? Uh, <laughs> um, I, I'm interested to see what they decide to commemorate this year. Obviously, was the space shuttle because it was 40 years since the first space shuttle launch in 1981, which was Columbia. Obviously, we didn't tribute Columbia; we tributed Discovery um, this uh, this year. But it, it was space shuttle themed. Um, you know, 72, 67, uh, 67 is Apollo One. You don't want to really you know, commemorate that, um, you know, with a football game per se, uh, 62, what I, okay. I, this is what I'd like to see. 1962. All right. Was John Glenn's first orbital flight. Uh, for the first, first American to orbit the earth, February 20th, 1962. I would love to see a Mercury seven themed UCF space uniform. And, uh, you know, the right stuff kind of thing. And I would love to see, I, I need more Canaveral blue in my life. Yes. I would love to see, we probably won't do it because it is an, it is a accent color, right? But I would love to see a Canaveral blue helmet or a Canaveral blue jersey or something. Um, it, it, it would be just to see what it looks like. Cause I think that would be so cool. I, I love Canaveral blue. I would, I, I have rooms. I'm thinking of painting my office Canaveral blue. That's how much I like it. I'm so. right with you. I, okay. <laughs> you want me to tell you what my favorite uniform is? Go for my, it. Fav- my favorite is last year's because the 2020 space game uniform, in my opinion, made the best use of Canaveral blue in the entire thing. My big thing with uniforms is contrast to make things pop and the black helmets with the gray uniforms and then accented and the in my opinion that was the best accenting you use use of canaveral blue out of all the space uniforms wait, wait, you didn't so, like you didn't uniform, like the blue that, space laser that the that uniform, used oh that was beautiful that you know well the thing i even, is, have, I even that, got my, my opinion, socks in my opinion that uniform and that and my that uniform's cool but the problem for me is that as i just think it's too dark there isn't the contrast there to make it pop like the 2018 one or the 2021 does and this now this one i can understand from you know their supply chain issues and i did like the space shuttle theming so because the space shuttle was kind of mostly white so i so i think that was that, that kind of worked for the theme but as far as looks go 20 i think so far nothing is b20 uh 2020 is the one that's the the best one for me i guarantee all of you that whatever it is that we're going to be working on next year they're already working on it 
oh, they're probably working a couple of years ahead at this point. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. Speaking of a couple and, of years ahead, a, a couple of years ahead. Yeah, they might be working on 2023. Big, you're actually right oh, now. Man, you're right, Drew. Going into the Big 12, going into the Big 12, I'm going to be a huge advocate for this if we can do it, is I feel like that we, that if we have an annual game with Houston, we need to make that game the space game. Well, I mean, we have to first find out if we're going to go north, south, are they going to east? Yeah, we got a lot to sort out there first. Who, there's, there's what other teams might like be, going What other teams may, may enter? Who knows? If the Big 12 goes to 14 or 16, that may be a possibility. We don't know. That's, a, that's quite far afield. But, uh, uh, but Bryson, I, I agree with you, and I've gone on the record about that too. I, I would love to see a sort of space rivalry between UCF and Houston, um, between Cape Cana- basically Eric. Cape Canaveral and Johnson Space Center, you know? I, I mean, think only Eric was the one who didn't agree on that idea the last time we brought it up. The Eric what? doesn't agree with anything having to do with this. What? Story. I'm sorry. What? I'm, I've, I've toned down. I've toned, I've tuned down. Eric like doesn't agree with it. Yeah. He doesn't want to listen about uniforms. Uh, no. Um, Canaveral blue. It's not even our school colors. But sure, let's use it. All right, great. I mean, it's, it's, it's cool to have a change of pace. Stop I mean, being a curmudgeon. Hey, hey, I have in my closet of jerseys a signed Lehigh you do. Valley cheesesteak yes, uniform. They're not the cheesesteaks. Uh, Normally, it was a one-time thing. It just happens to be Ben Lively's jersey that is signed. Uh, you know, UCF alum. But, I mean, minor league baseball teams do it all the time. Uh, I have one that, that changed their name from the uh, tourists to Beer City. And I'm from another that changed their name to the Bung Hammers. And come on. Fresno Grizzlies become the Fresno Tacos. I mean, there's nothing wrong with changing your name for special events. And if you're going to do it, go all out. In fact, I don't think UCF does enough for the well, space I, game. I, I, well, the field I, I, couple, needs couple changing. Things, couple things. Couple things on this. Number one, my wife hit it right on the head. Because every year this comes up and the, and the question is, why don't we just change to the Citronauts all the time? No. And my, and my wife hit it on the head. She said, if you change to the Citronauts, you – you it's like leaving your Christmas lights up year round. It takes away the specialness of it. So keep the specialness of it. But what I would like to see is a Citronaut night for every sport. Okay. We're seeing it with soccer. We've seen it with baseball. We've seen it with men's basketball. I want to see it in, have we seen it in women's Eric? No, I don't think we have. I'd like to see it for women's basketball. I'd love to see it for volleyball. I'd love to see it for for for. Nah, I rather I rather see facility upgrades than. I'd jersey. love to see a softball yeah. Citronauts uniform. Yeah, I rather I, yeah, I want facility upgrades. Facility it's upgrades. Not a huge investment to do, especially yeah. if you actually it's look at the basketball. I'd love it against, and I'd love it against Houston. I'd love it against Houston for uh, conference play. The basketball ones. I mean, we see them. They're they're not really over the top. They're they're, they're they don't have to be. They don't have to be. They're 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 kind of plain, but they 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 highlight different a different name, a different color. What I want to see, and maybe when there's a little extra money from from the Big Twelve, I want to see on the football field. I want to see that block UCF removed. I want to see a Citronaut. This is your there. fault, JP Gilbert. It's your fault. No, I want to see the end zones in different colors. With if the, the Citronaut script in the end zone, that would be oh, hot. Oh, that hey. would be really hot. But for the female, for the or even I'm just knots. Um, but you know, if, if space is an issue, but I mean, if you're going to do it, do it all the way, you know, buy into it fully. You are, you are not the UCF Knights of that day. You are the UCF Citronauts. Just, just buy into it and just, just go all out, have fun with it. I know that's expensive when you're repainting the field and everything, and you got to get new stencils designed and all that other stuff. 
okay, wait till you have a little extra cash, maybe 2024, 2025. But I would love to see UCF do that. One other uh, thing that I want to no. oh, go ahead, Bryson. Um, first of all, not calling it the knots is just basically just saying knights in an Australian accent. I will die on that hill. Uh, secondly, <laughs> we mentioned the female sports doing a space game. Sally Ride, the first U.S. woman in space, went up in June 18th, 1983. That anniversary is going to be coming in 2023. So if there's a time. And we did, we did honor women from UCF game. in the space program this past weekend. I, you know what? Bryson, great call. Great call. We should Make honor Sally Ride and all, the, and, all the, and all the women who have made tremendous contributions to the U.S. space program. Over the years. By the way, speaking of which, before we go to break, I should note our friends at Breaking Tea came out with a Citronaut shirt. All right. And it's great. While supplies last, you can actually go ahead and check one out. Uh, officially licensed UCF gear. And by the way, I want to thank the guys at Breaking Tea. And I want to thank UCF too for, for brokering that deal where we have officially licensed gear now, UCF gear on Breaking Tea. Uh, for uh, for UCF, including a new Citronaut shirt that says Bryson Turner, let's go knots. So, uh, so I, 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 it's, hey, I love the it's consistency. Fantastic. If we have any Australian it. fans, nothing changes. They just say the same thing. I love it. So, so when we get back, or, all right, so again, kickoff for Temple noon, chance for UCF to get to five and three, five and three, and three and two in the American before homecoming against Tulane next at the week after. So, all right, when we come back, Caroline Delisle, UCF women's soccer goalkeeper. She has followed in the footsteps of some of the greatest UCF athletes of all time, putting the mitts on for, uh, for UCF women's soccer. We get to talk with her in a moment and talk with you, talk about UCF women's soccer and where they stand in the chase for the NCAA tournament when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Bryson Turner back with you here. And let's talk a little women's soccer. Caroline Delisle is the goalkeeper for UCF women's soccer. And Eric, as we've talked about several times on this show, she follows in the footsteps of some greats, but she is well on her way to establishing her own foothold in the UCF record books when it comes to who the greatest goalkeepers are in UCF women's soccer history. And it's a long line, isn't it? It really is. When you think of UCF women's soccer, one of the most premier positions, not only in the women's pro soccer program, but in all of UCF athletics is the goalkeeper. Yeah, think of goalie- like, That's like center field for the New York Yankees, man. Right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just give you names. Kim Wyant, Karen Richter, Alyssa O'Brien, Jennifer Manis, Alina Reyes, most recently Vera, Vera, uh, Vera Veras. That's the company that you saw just a few of the greats that have been behind the net. The next one here is Caroline Delisle, who stepped in as a freshman in 2019. Now she's looking to lead UCF back to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2017 and add her legacy. She's having a monster season. Earlier this week, 
Bryson Turner and myself had a chance to talk to Caroline about the legacy of the UCF goalkeeping and how did a girl from Tampa end up at UCF? Especially, what's it like? Question. Yeah, we ask her that. Plus, what's it like being recruited by a gold medalist and a World Cup champion? Those are some of the topics that we hit up with Caroline Caroline Delisle on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. And welcome here on Black and Gold Banneret. Joining us now, she's the goalkeeper, star goalkeeper for UCF soccer, fresh off a nice five nothing win over Temple. Of course, speak of Caroline Delisle joins us here. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. How has this fall been like? Obviously, uh, a tough schedule, one of the toughest schedules in the country, but you got some great wins. You're coming off now with a nice win over Temple. You're, you're kind of back on, on rhythm here. It's been a difficult schedule, highs and lows, but describe this season. Yeah, I think you nailed it on the head there. Just a, a season of highs and lows for sure. I think um, the tougher schedule gets us all excited like that's what we want our schedule to look like and we know that um tips has set up for us because she knows that we can compete with these best teams in the country um and so it's been it's been great i think we're all especially after last year just thankful to have a season and be able to travel and play these teams um and so yeah it was tough to um just heading into conference starting with i mean houston's on a great has a great season this year so starting with them and then memphis and usf so um i think just like getting those those competitions out of the way and then um back up on an upswing um in this and in the end of a conference season so um it's been good i think the team has been has looked really great throughout the season um and we like i said are all just happy to be together and be able to have some freedom and have a normal season so um it's been good yeah you mentioned a normal season. Obviously, the spring was anything but normal. It was unique. Uh, didn't go the way, obviously, the, you know, you would have liked to have gone. Yet, it's so weird. You you had a season in the spring and a season in the fall. From an, uh, Take me through that process, having a season in the spring. and Because normally, you would have a spring season where you're practicing and you have some exhibitions and, you know. But here, you had a, like a sprint in the spring of sorts and then obviously you have a quick turnaround and coming back in the fall in august what what is what was that like it was different for sure i mean those of us who had been around it's pretty different than what a spring and then summer would look like um but so it was tough to just kind of like we didn't really have a time just to like get a break but i don't think any of us really wanted one since we had had one for so long over covid and then not having it over the fall um so it definitely we had to be more intentional just how we were taking care of our bodies and um being more intentional with the rest that we needed to get um but i think most of us were just fired up that um especially with spring not going as well as we had hoped i think like that just put a fire underneath us that over the summer, like I know a lot of us were on summer league teams here and then training with each other um, at our own place. And so um, I think it was just like, obviously it's different than we'd ever done, but I think it just kind of like motivated us and set us up really well um, heading into this season. Um, And we like had been together all spring and summer, which is kind of rare. Um, And so we had a lot of time as a team to be together. And so that was great. So, yeah. So you're in your third season now as goalkeeper for, for this UCF women's soccer team. Can you talk about what caught, what, how UCF caught your eye and how you end up uh, choosing to come here? Yeah, so the recruiting process is crazy, obviously. Um, but I think that 
UCF. Um, initially I was like, I, I'm from Tampa. So I was like, I'm getting out of Florida. Like I don't want to stay in Florida. Um, but then I was like, Oh, like I couldn't really come home like in, in except for like summer and Christmas. And I didn't really like that. So, um, I loved how UCF is close to Tampa. Um, and my family can be at games and stuff. Um, and then just like this family environment at UCF, um, I could like feel that even from being recruited. Um, Tiff and Tim obviously are great. Um, and then Chris, the goalkeeper coach, he's the one who's recruited me throughout my whole experience. And so um, he and I have had a great relationship from the beginning. Um, and I think like it was really cool heading like being recruited by UCF because a lot of schools are like you have two weeks to decide or like you have a week to decide and like give us a commitment. But Tiff's like, I don't see like the point in that where it's like, I want you to like really take your time to like figure out where you want to be. And I thought that was like, I really respected that and just being like, oh, like she really cares that I want to be here and not like commit to fit a timeline. And um, so I think like from the beginning, um, it was just like clear that they cared about me as a person and me as a player. Um, and then UCF as a school, I just really loved, like I loved Obviously, I was I came in 2018, so I was uh, on the um, came in right with all the hype with 2017 football season and stuff, and so that was fun. Um, so I just really liked the school um, and the location and the soccer side of everything. Um, and like UCF has had a really good reputation of um, creating really amazing goalkeepers, and so um, I wanted to be a part of that legacy. And so here I am. Oh, I've always been fascinated, and, and you're the perfect perfect person to find this out as you get recruited and stuff, when you meet Coach Sahadak, are you aware of her accomplishments and who she is from a, a legendary player? And more importantly, are your parents, I would imagine, are aware from her World Cup and Olympic success? Take me through that interaction from that standpoint because, you know, her resume is, uh, is above and beyond many coaches. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I think all of us were aware of it. Like, even looking back, like, with my teammates and stuff, we're all, like, Walking into a head coach's office as a high schooler is like intimidating enough and like just knowing who Tiff is. Um, and so, but it's like, it was so cool because like my parents knew as well, just cause we had talked about it. Cause I mean, it's hard not to talk about her, her past. And so um, we, we all knew, but then you meet her and she's just like the most like humble and like, is not like, doesn't exude like this, like, I don't know. She's just like, so like, caring and kind and it's not like oh like she knows that she's like really impressive and all this stuff and so it was really cool to be like I know that she has all these like this past that's been so incredible um but it's still like she's still with all of that like cares about me and so like it's really cool um but yeah so it was definitely intimidating walking in um and just knowing who she was and what she's done um but it just adds to like the the my like being impressed with her um and how impressive she is um just because that she can handle all of that and still be such an amazing person just as she is and so yeah it definitely added some some pressure walking in the office that day but um she never lets it get to her head or anything so it's pretty cool that's pretty that's pretty good now you mentioned earlier about the goalkeeping legacy uh, which is legit. I mean, it's one of the most uh, legendary positions in all of UCF athletics, going back to the history of UCF goalkeepers. I mean, there's a ton of them. Alini Reyes got inducted into the Hall of Fame. While, you know, I think it was right around your freshman, sophomore year mm -hmm. when she yep. got inducted. You mentioned you followed Vera Veras. 
yep. who had a Hall of Fame type career herself. Right. Uh, and I remember that because when you, you know, you walked in and your friend, you know, after you redshirted, you know, that mm-hmm. was the big question. Following how, when you say you were aware of the legacy, describe that, you know, how much you knew about the legacy of goalkeepers, because it's a who's who. They've had goalkeepers that have played internationally, played yeah. in the Olympics, uh, all over the world, globally. And you're following a great, you know, you, you walk in to great goalkeeping. I mean, the standards are high. What, what, was, what is that like? I think it was like, I don't even think that I realized the history of it. I just knew that Vera was there. Um, And I just remember my freshman year going in and like my family and people who knew not quite as much about soccer were like, yeah, like we go in and play. And I'm like, there's an all American there. Like I'm just going in and trying to learn everything I can at first. So no, but um, yeah, I think it was just like, I think once I got there, I realized like, the like how far back the legacy of goalkeepers went um and then yeah there was a lot of conversations between Chris and I once it was like me taking over Vera's spot and just like what that entails and then he's been like he and I have sat down have had conversation he's like you know the the like the legacy of what we've had here right and I'm like well now I know um but it's just like I think it's such an honor to be a part of that like just like even getting to like wear the Jersey and be in the goal for this team and what that like um, entails. And so um, it's been really cool just to learn more and more about it um, and then get to be a part of it um, has been awesome. And like I said, learn from Chloe and Vera. And um, so it's been a really, a really cool spot to be in and definitely an honor just to be in the same spot as some of those people. So. What are some of the things you learned from Vera that you took with you? that's helped you through your career. And I'm sure do you feel like a responsibility to pass that on to the next goalkeeper, whoever follows you down the road to pass on this tradition, kind of like a bonding there of, Hey, we, you know, not only is this a, you know, you're in a great program, but this is a great, you know, legendary position that we play in an honor to get to wear this. This is what it's, what it takes to be successful. Yeah, I for sure feel that responsibility. I think Vera t- taught me a lot of things. I think um, just her, like, intensity and like intentionality and training I had never seen before I think like a lot of freshmen in college get there and they're like throughout our careers like we've just kind of naturally been able to do stuff and so which I sound I don't want to sound like braggy but like it's just kind of like we're athletic and so we could kind of breeze through trainings and stuff like that but there like she very much could but like she took it to another level of like, I'm going to get better every day at something. Um, and it was the most like intentional and like thoughtful at training of like what she was doing. Um, and so I came in as a freshman and I was just like flying all over the place. I didn't know what I was doing. Like technique was kind of like, we we're still getting there. And so I think that was super cool just to see like, Oh, she comes in every day and like is focusing on something specific to get better at. And it was like, that is what I want my trainings to look like. Um, and then I think just like her commitment to the game and her like, um, like intensity and competitiveness, um, was unmatched. Um, and so I think just like, that's the type of present, I think that's what I'm looking for. Her presence was incredible. Um, and those who played against her and played with her could feel that presence. Um, and that's what I wanted to have. Um, and so, yeah, I think, um, for sure, just passing that on to the goalkeepers that will, um, follow me just like, it's like an honor to be in this spot. Um, and it should be our privilege to work 
and give our hundred percent every day um, and keep the keep the legacy going. Uh, saves is one of them. How are you different now than you were, say, as a freshman? Because I, I, Coach Tiff told me when I talked to her about you that you're more vocal leader now, that you're taking more ownership. Because when you came in, you were surrounded by a great, experienced group, especially in the back line, protecting you, like a you know a plumber, Kanye Plumber, and others in the back line are tremendous. But now you've kind of been the veteran now. So you're mm-hmm. taking more vocal. Is that accurate? How have you changed as a player? Yeah, I think that is the most – True statement. I mean, I remember my sophomore year, Chris and I always like meet up at halftime and then after a game to just kind of figure out what adjustments need to be made or whatever. And every, every halftime, it was like, just keep talking more, keep talking more. Um, and I had like Kanya and um, incredible veterans that I could kind of ride the, ride the coattails of. And so I could get away with it. Um, but so that was a huge learning year where I like could try things and like really try to put myself out there and could still had Kanye an amazing backline to rely on. Um, but yeah, that has been my, I'm not naturally a super like loud or like, I don't love yelling, but like, it's very much come into like, I can do even my, even my parents on the sidelines are like, who is that girl? That's like demanding on the field and like, <laughs> commanding. like it's like, it's really come a long way. And so, yeah, I think that's like been the, um, my biggest form of like, growth in my own personal career is just like and like um coming in and being like I like feel I feel like for a long time I didn't feel like I had the right to like tell people what to do because I'm like I don't know like but just like finding that confidence in myself um and in my teammates and building that trust with them where we can have these conversations of like um them like trusting me on the field to tell them um where they need to be or just like because I can see everything just telling them um what they need to know so yeah, it's definitely been a growing experience for sure. <laughs> Tell us about the mindset of a goalkeeper, because I've always been fascinated by the position. I've talked to Alini Reyes about it. I've talked to Vera about it. I've talked to others about it because, you know, you could go a match where you don't see a shot yep. for like 80, 90 minutes. Yep. Then there's matches where you'll see get peppered with a ton of shots. Mm-hmm. And then there's a mixture it's a unique position. It's because there's a lot of mental games there played with that, right? A focus standpoint. Just, just take us through that that haven't been between the net and that mm-hmm. mindset and the you know that approach as a goalkeeper because it's such a unique position. Yeah, I think outside of like my communication, I think that's my other area that I've grown the most um, because it is 100% a mental position. Um, like you said, being able to stay stay in the game for 90 minutes, whether you're getting shot on every five minutes or you get one shot in the 89th minute, like just being able to stay locked in the entire time. Um, and then I think just like the mentality of the position where it's like I I struggled a long time with like I get scored on kind of like fall in a hole for a few minutes and then like dig myself back out. But it's like, we don't have time for that. Like we got to go like, and so it's very much just like um, being able to have something that like drives you through the whole game. So Chris and I talk a lot about like a mantra um, to keep us going through the game. Um, And so for me, it's very much like stay present. um, And then it's, I always tell myself it's a zero, zero game um, and just focus on what I can do. Um, And so that's very much like where I've found that I do the best um, because whether we're up three, zero or down three, zero, I can't start thinking about what this means for conference or what this means 
for something else. Like I just need to stay in it, um, for 90 minutes. Um, and so that helps me just kind of lock into the zone and just stay, um, stay where I need to be. Cause like you said, it, it's so mental. Um, and so, yeah, it takes a lot to kind of figure out what works for you and like figuring out your mantra, but, um, it's a huge part of being a goalkeeper. So, so but one match that stands out one SMU on the road, 11 yeah. saves, which was a phenomenal match. Me and Bryson were watching the match live, and some of the saves you made was incredible. And that was, I thought, a pivotal moment in the season for your team because you earned a great point against a really good SMU team that's been ranked all year. And Bryson, correct me if I'm wrong, those 11 saves, no UCF goalkeeper has had that many saves since the late 90s that we looked up, or uh, 2000s. Bryson has that info. But take me through that match in particular because yeah. you were like locked in in the zone and SMU has some weapons there, but that was, I thought a big moment. Cause you know, there was a, that was during that stretch there where there was some bumps in the road in the conference, because this league is strong this year, maybe the strongest yeah. it's ever been, but that was a huge moment I thought for, for this season. And you were fantastic in that match. Thank you. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun one for sure. I think like our mentality going into that game is like, we were tired of losing. And so I think my mentality was like, I will, we will not lose this game. Like we are not walking out of here without at least a point. Um, and so, yeah, it was great. I kept saying after the game, like they just kind of kicked the ball at me a lot. And so obviously there were some crazy saves, but um, they, uh, my, my back line made my life easy at, at a lot of the time. So, um, but yeah, it was definitely a turning point and just like, um, showed like the character and the heart of this team where it was like, we are going to will it out um, and turn this season around. Um, and so, but yeah, it was a really, it was a fun game. Honestly, it was one of those where like, there are some games where it's like, ah, yeah, this really is just fun. Um, and so obviously we wish we could have walked away with three points instead of one, but um, it was just a great like team effort and just like obviously 110 minutes of grit and um, fighting from our team. So it was it was nice to walk away with a point. Um, and like you said, was a turning point for the season. So is that a match? I mean, I always you always hear from athletes. I've always talked to athletes, pro and college athletes about being in the zone. Mm-hmm. Is that a, is there such is that does that apply here as a goalkeeper? Does that match apply? Because I mean, there were some of the best saves I've seen you that I've seen any goalkeeper have was in that match. Was, does that was that like close to being in the zone for you there? Did you feel like we were locked in? Yeah, I did. I wouldn't say it was like um, one of. I've definitely been like very much in the zone where it's like like I said at that USF game where it was just like I there was no other thoughts in my brain. So, um, I think like it was very close to being just completely, um, completely in the zone, but yeah, it was just one of those where it's like, it's just one of those where like your brain can like, you've trained so much where like your body can just kind of take over. Um, which is the best feeling <laughs> as like a player where it's like, I've put in the work and like my body knows what to do and my brain knows what to do. And so, um, but yeah, it was, it was just one of those where it was just like, Things were going my way. Um, and so it's a great, great place to be in as a goalkeeper, for sure. I would say things going your way in, in that match would be an understatement because you had your because 11 saves is your career high. And you became the first UCF goalkeeper to get 11 or more saves in one match since Jennifer Manis in 2007. That's wow. uh, as Eric said, I had that I had that has stat on hand. I did. I just want to make sure I clarified that. Got a couple kind of about this season. I want to ask you about the Texas match in particular, because I said at the time that was a huge moment 
for yeah. this team. Because, yeah. yeah, obviously you had a tough spring season. You're playing a really good talent to Texas team. And you took it to them and yeah. dominated. And I thought that really was like, a, you know, kind of, I always felt like that was a, a statement by your team. Right? Like, hey, we're here. We got some goals. We got a chip on our shoulder. Describe that match and how that set the tone for this season and this group that you all seem to be very close. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. We came in with, I mean, I think the energy of that game, like, was in the locker room and on the field was something that, like, we had never felt before. Um, and it was just, like, very much set the tone of, like, we are a good team. Like, we can we can take care of teams. And so, um, I think just, yeah, we had all that built-up energy from the past season and all the work that we had put in over the summer. Um, and it was just, like, finally time to release it. Um, and so I think just, yeah, that chip on our shoulder and just being ready to go. Um, and so I think, and just like, it was so great to send us into this season knowing like that we had that in our back pocket. Like we know that we can compete with the best. And, um, so it was, it was a great game. Like I said, that energy and like the way that our team played, um, was so, so cool. And it was so awesome for me to be able to, um, watch it happen um and so yeah it was great a great thing to be a part of for sure no doubt and it set the tone you've got some great wins this season you won at old miss who yep. could be a national seed uh you beat penn state here at home uh you were supposed to play carolina but mother nature had different ideas that had to be a little bit of a bummer you didn't get a chance to play them in person but still uh, a lot of results here. I know the conference tournament is, is on the horizon and coming up. Just talk about what's the keys here moving forward because you got big matches from here on out. You're, I know you got big goals ahead of you. What are the keys for this team here moving forward to accomplish your internal goals here uh, as you get to postseason play? Yeah, I think um, just like I said with Texas, like it gave us this knowledge that we can beat teams. And like with Penn State and Ole Miss, like – so I think it's just like every person taking responsibility for doing their job and playing the way that we know how to. Um, I don't think we've left a match this year being like, they were just better. That happens sometimes. Um, but there has not been a single match this year, um, which is frustrating walking away from a match, knowing that um, you could have won, but it also gives you this, um, this enthusiasm because it's like going forward, we know we're going to face all these teams again in conference. Um, and so we have this confidence of like, we can beat these teams. Um, and so I think it's just lit a fire under us um, that we're ready to go and have this confidence um, that there's no, we really, we genuinely feel like there's no game that we're just out of. Um, and so I think that is the key, just keeping that fire with us um, and just doing our jobs to the best of our abilities um, and showing up for every match and playing a solid 90 minutes um, and just staying together as a team. It's a young group too. I don't know if people realize, I didn't realize that until the other day on senior day where there was like, wait, yeah. that's it. That's only seniors. Wow. Everybody, these people could come back. You mean, yeah. um, that's also kind of cool that you're part of this nucleus here that, that still got a lot of experience. Talk about some of the other players that people may not be aware of, because you've had a lot of players step up both defensively and offensively that people, uh, you know, have stood out and been a big part of this uh, so far as this season. Yeah, no, I, I give all of the credit to our team. Like there are some incredible players. I mean, like Daria Rajai has um, had an incredible season in the middle. I think she's like very much taken over a leadership role um, 
I mean, from the beginning, like in the Texas game, it was like this girl's not messing around. And so um, that's been awesome to see as she's kind of come into her veteran role. Um, our back line is so solid. Um, Ariel Young being back. I mean, she's been on the team for three years, but being able to have her play and healthy. Um, but um, and then, yeah, just having I mean, obviously, Kristen and Ellie up top are just two solid people who we know we'll get the job done. Um, but there's just been a lot of people who have like, like Sonia um, has been injured and then was stuck in Germany last year for COVID. So she's come in, come in hot. Um, but we just had a lot of team, a lot of people step up and like, we've had a lot of injuries this year. So it's been cool just to see people step into roles um, when we're, when they're needed um, and just give their all and see how, see how it's gone. So yeah, it's been cool. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's tremendous, and it's exciting to watch you all, you know, play together. Last question. You've got a lot of soccer left in your career, uh, <laughs> both in college, and I would assume you're probably going to try to shoot to play professionally. Is that a goal uh, afterwards? And then whenever you do play, done playing soccer, what's your goals outside of soccer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I the hope is to continue playing after soccer, but then I want to stay in the athletic realm. I uh, – I am studying sports and exercise science, and then we'll get my master's in kinesiology. Um, so I, the goal, the dream would be to to be like a strength and conditioning coach for a college team. Um, I think ours have had such a cool impact on my my career. Um, and so um, obviously I've gotten a firsthand look at, at that. Um, so that um, and I also I volunteer with this ministry that I love called Young Life. So it's either kind of a strength and conditioning side of things or like going into that ministry and following that side. Um, so wherever wherever I end up. But uh, but yeah, so the goal is one of those. Um, but yeah, I would love for the athletic side of things to stay stay a part of my life for a long time. Well, we're, we just want you to stay between the net for now. Uh, we'll exactly. just, yeah, we want to, and it's because it's a pleasure to watch you, and uh, we look forward to watching you more and uh, build your career. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, I know it's a busy time, an important time, with obviously getting ready for the conference tournaments and hopefully beyond that. Uh, so thank you so much, and obviously your classwork. Uh, appreciate you. Like I said, we've enjoyed watching you in person, from and uh, and we wish you good luck here the rest of the way, and we'll hope to do this again down the road. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. And thanks again to Caroline Delisle for joining us here. And for a full, to listen to the full interview, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube page and like us there. We have the entire interview there where we talk about her family, which all went to Florida State. And she explains why she didn't follow that path. Uh, So some good stuff there, as well as uh, her career in high school playing. uh, What was the other sports pricing she was playing in high school? She played outside hitter in volleyball and quarterback in flag football. Yeah. Gosh. So she's very, uh, very athletic. But look, she's had an incredible season, as we talked about. And Jeff, right now, this is a team that, you know, as we talked, obviously has one more regular season match. You got the conference tournament, which they qualify. They're going to play this weekend. We don't know the, the scenarios there yet. But this is a team that's primed in position to make it back to the tournament for the first time since 2017. And, uh, you know, they just got to finish the deal here. Yeah, you know, I, I, we've been talking about this, you know, again, Coach Tiffany with the schedule, right? They're 8-5-1 mm-hmm. and one right now. But that schedule really helped them out early in the season. I still think, like, they look back at that South Florida loss as a real heartbreaker, um, that 2-1 to one loss that they had uh, earlier in the year. Um, you know, they were so cl- that the, the Houston loss, I think that started conference play. I think that also really hurt. They, it, and, and I remember talking to coach Tiff and she was like, you know, we kind of, 
you know, that, that one really hurt off the bat. Um, but that said, you know, here they are, Eric. They have one game left on Thursday, all right, against Cincinnati in Cincinnati on ESPN Plus to finish out the regular season. They've won four in a row after that three-game stretch against Memphis, SMU, and USF where they went winless. They've now won three in a row. Carolines shut out the, the those three opponents, Tulsa, ECU, and Temple, in those three in those three matches, UCF's outscored those those three teams by a total of ten to nothing. They're set to start the opening round on Sunday in the American Championship. I I think they're in good shape right now. But let me ask you because you follow the RPI. Yeah. What do they have to do in the conference uh, in the conference uh, tournament to assure themselves of that bid? Well, first of all, they got to win this the Thursday game against Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's important. I really do. Uh, because you look at the thing that's in UCF's favor, Chris Henderson, who we've had on the show before, is the, covers women's soccer inside out. He's got him comfortably in. And one of the reasons why they has him comfortably in is UCF hasn't lost to a team that has an RPI worse than 63, which is impressive. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's quality. That is good. Um, they also have three wins against top 50 teams, including a win at Ole Miss, hosting, beating Penn State, and then Texas. Remember Texas, Jeff? You know, we talked to Carolina about the Texas match. Remember how we said that was such a significant moment for this team to get off to that great start by blowing out Texas? Mm-hmm. I, that's a huge win there. They got two wins against the top 25. I think now if UCF wins on Thursday, they're going to be at worst a five seed. They, if Memphis loses to SMU – UCF will host the first round game as a four seed, likely against Memphis, which is a huge rivalry. That would game. be a huge. That would be a huge, right. huge boost for UCF. Because um, remember, they lost to Memphis earlier in the year, two to one. Correct, and that's a that, that rivalry goes way back to oh, Conference that's, USA. That's an it, old Conference USA. Well, There's some nasty games that have been right. And, you know, and that's going to be interesting. What happens moving forward? You know, if those two teams still play when UCF goes to the Big Twelve, but that's a, another story for another time. I think if they were to win that opening round match of the conference tournament, they're a lock to be in. I think that right now Chris Henderson is projecting four teams in for the tournament. He's got UCF. I think SMU and South Florida are pretty much locks. I think yep. UCF's pretty close to being in a lock. And then I, he's got Houston, actually, as this fourth team in. He's currently got Memphis out, who has struggled. They've lost three in a row as we record this. So I think if they win the opening round match against the Memphis or Houston, it could be a scenario where they go to Houston again. Uh, depending on how this plays out on the final day of the regular season. If they win that, I think they're in. If they lose that, they're going to sweat it out. But I still think they're in because here's a stat for you. UCF, you know what their strength of schedule ranking is right now? Uh, I don't have it up in front I, of me, but it's that's pretty why high, it's isn't top it? 10. 20, actually. 20. 20. 20. 20. Yep. And the updated 20. In comparison, Houston, 91st. Hmm. Memphis, 112. UCF actually has more top 50 wins than Houston and Memphis. They equal as many top 50 wins as Houston and Memphis combined. So when you look at the bubble teams, UCF's resume is stands out. So yeah. I think they're going to be in. That being said, I still think they got to win Thursday at Cincinnati. And then it would, it would, and keep this in mind. And I have to remind myself of this as well, because it is confusing. Let's say they play in the conference tournament opening round and they lose on penalty kicks officially that is not a loss right that's a draw and i think people have to remember people forget that i forget that so that actually would not hurt them as a resume either so 
Uh, I think they're in good shape, but they got to finish the deal. Uh, but they're playing really good right now. They're clicking on all cylinders, and I think they're playing the right way going in here after kind of a rough stretch. But again, I think it was an overrated rough stretch because their their conference schedule is front loaded. And, and again, and, and Bryce and I were talking about this off the air. All those losses were by one goal. They could have easily won those matches. It wasn't like they weren't in the match. It just had some right. bad luck. Yeah. Right, Bryson, because I, I, I want to ask you about this because, you know, the, the Houston game was one to nothing that started the conference conference uh, season. Memphis was two to one and then that, and then the USF was two to one. So there's a good chance that they could avenge like you were like Eric was saying, you know, at least one of them, possibly two. Right. So what are you looking for this team to do right now as they, as they head into this final stretch and what do you think, and what's going to be the key for them to, you know, kind of cinch this thing up because it's, I think that this conference is wide open still USF's in first place at five, one and one SMU's right behind the four, one and two Houston's four, two and one Memphis, four and three ECU's having the three, three and two year. And there's UCF sitting at three, three and one with that, you know, and possibly could be four, three and four, three and one as we head, head out. So this, this conference is pretty tight right now, isn't it? Oh yes, for sure. And the fact that, you know, that the goal, that the losses they had against USF, SMU, Houston, or or USF, Houston, and Memphis was one goal and they drew with SMU Mm. is major, is major evidence that UCF can win against those if they want to. And honestly, they should have won that USF game. They had, there was a one goal that was, that was completely open. That was just came off the foot wrong and missed. If that goal had gone in, UCF would have won in regulation. I will die. I will, I will. You're dying on that hill. All right. (laughs) So I uh, personally, I, uh, so that's just something that breaks the wrong way. That stuff kind of happens. Uh, As we, as we've mentioned, Caroline Delisle, has been having an amazing season. She has 70 saves. And if she gets and if she gets 12 more, Jeff, she will actually end up being in the top 10 in the top 10 most saves in a season in UCF program history. We haven't seen as, as many saves in a season as that since 2009 with Alini Reyes. Mm-hmm. So some his, some historic defense out of Caroline Delisle right there. So having her as your goalkeeper is absolutely huge, especially when UCF has been, when she has been getting shot at a a lot as well. So, but, but the thing that separates why those, why the UCF has lost the games that it has is because of the, of how they couldn't really get offense working. All right. Like Kristen Scott and Ellie Moreno have kind of been the major offensive drivers. They kind of went into a bit of a cold streak during the, those stretch of matches at the beginning of the conference schedule. Now, but one thing that I noticed during these stretch of games is the emergence of a new possible scorer opportunity. And that's Katie Bradley. Katie Bradley scored in both games against East Carolina and Temple this week. And against Temple, she led the team in shots with eight. After after not shooting more than one the entire season, uh, I was talking yeah. with um, Coach Eight shots in a game is a lot. That's uh, that's, oh, yeah. Eric. That's like Cal Jennings level stuff, right? Yeah, being aggressive <laughs> though, Bryce, and that's what they got to be, right, Bryce? And you talked to right. Coach Sahadek about that. Yes, I was after I was talking with t- Coach Tiff after the game, and she said that Katie told her, you know, she wanted to score, and so that's where so that's where the opportunities kind of came. So. I would say that you, you have Kristen Scott, Ellen Moreno, Katie Bradley, 
you have you maybe get a couple of other you get a couple of other scores in there that uh, being aggressive on offense and getting there coach tiff said that their offense was the best defense that they had in that in that tempo match where they won five nothing and they got out and they scored like three goals in like the first 10 and a half minutes so doing uh, succeeding on offense i think is going to be the key for them going into the conference tournament all right, so la- last word on this. We're, we're in the last weekend of play. The regular season ends. All eight remaining teams, eight of the nine teams that are in the American, are playing on Thursday night, uh, all across from each other, basically. South Florida's playing Temple. Temple is two and five in the league. Let's, let's, just, let's just pencil in South Florida yeah, the- as a W there. And yeah. I know you talked about this a little bit. Before. Well, and that's significant, too, because that means they would host in Tampa. So if you're UCF, you know, that's let's not say so you— bad. Short that's bad. Short bus n- ride. Correct. In theory, right. if you get to that point, absolutely. Uh, women. Okay. Uh, Houston is playing Tulsa. Tulsa's in last place. Let's. If you pencil three and put three points in for for Memphis, that puts them in second place at fifteen. So then you have SMU. SMU is facing Memphis. That's the big game of the weekend right now because SMU absolutely. is second. Yes. And Memphis, and they're playing at Memphis. Memphis is fourth. If SMU wins that game, then there's a chance UCF, like you said, Eric, would leapfrog them in the standings to get to the to get to the four seed. If it's a draw, what UCF really needs is, is SMU to win that game. Is really yes. What you, is yes. What you're saying. Yeah. Correct. No, yep. no draws. We need we need SMU to win it to knock Memphis down a peg, and obviously UCF take care of business against up in Cincinnati at 7 p.m. So. Hey, ESPN Plus, this is where it comes in handy, folks. UCF against Cincinnati on Thursday, October yeah. 28th. Big tournament PM. implications here. And Big then, tournament and implications. And it should end in time for us to catch the end of the SMU-Memphis match, which starts at 8 o'clock Eastern that night. So it's going to be, hey, ESPN Plus coming up big for us one more time again, isn't it, Eric? It is, and this is a league that has a chance to be a four-bid league for the first time ever. They Usually three has been the max. They're ahead of the Big 12. They're number five right now in conference uh, RPI strength. This has been a strong year for the league. So these matches are pivotal from that standpoint uh, for UCF and uh, Memphis. Like I think Memphis needs that win in the worst way to get back into the field of 64. Otherwise, they're in the, they might have to win the tournament to yeah. get into the field. So there's a lot of implications. And obviously, the goalkeeper of the year award is going to be interesting. I think Caroline's right there with Cindy Martinez of South Florida for that goalkeeper of the year race. Uh, that's going to be fascinating. But the beauty of, of your UCF is when you have someone like Caroline Delisle, you always have a chance to win. And, it's, and as Bryson mentioned, it's up to the offense to stay aggressive and play aggressive and with a lead. You know, sometimes they fall too tentative, and that's where they get themselves in trouble. But let's yeah, hope for the strong finish. You know, the other thing too, too. I wanted to get this in before we take a break. Memphis is in big trouble because remember after that hot that hot start that they got off to, they started off four and zero in yep. conference. Since then, they've lost three in a row. Yep, and that's dropped their RPI to sixty three. That's yep. why they're in, in, including in a loss to ECU in ECU's last game of the season. ECU's not very good, right? So, um, it, and, and then you know, again, they have that home match against SMU. There's a possibility Memphis could win four and then lose four. And if that happens, UCF is sitting pretty at that point. All right, take a break. We come back. Bryson's going to stay with us. We're going to talk about everything else. Men's soccer, volleyball, lots of tennis to talk about as we go through the nightcap. Black and Gold Banneret Podcast back after this. Hey, guys, it's Jeff. Just a little heads up here. Uh, so we recorded this on Wednesday afternoon, and I couldn't edit it until Wednesday night. And then after that, uh, 
little update on men's soccer. Uh, UCF lost to South Florida 4-3 to in overtime on an extra time goal. But also uh, Tulsa tied SMU. It was a scoreless draw. So when you get to the men's soccer part, just remember that UCF um, lost that game to South Florida. Tulsa drew SMU. So the current standings right now, Tulsa in men's soccer is in first place with 19 points, 11-1-1 overall, 6-1-1 in the conference. UCF is in second place with 18 points, just one point back. So credit to SMU. They did UCF a solid there. Uh, so that's the current situation right now in the American men's soccer standings. So when, you get, when we get to that point where we discuss it, just bear that in mind. All right? Sorry about the mess up. Try and get the podcast out a little earlier next time. All right, back to the show. All right, welcome back. Jeff, Eric, and Bryson here with you. Let's talk about UCF sports in uh, – uh, we just got done talking about women's soccer. Uh, we got filled you in on football. I want to talk about uh, real quick, Bryson. You know, you do such a good job with our uh, nightcap here. And the big story, I think, from this weekend as we spin things forward and look ahead to the the weekend that we're that's coming up. You know, these sports are starting to wind down a little bit, and the. It, it, it's it, it's starting to get a little, you know, it, the, the drama is starting to creep up, especially I think too with uh, with, with with men's soccer right now. Um, the position that they're in in the standings is uh, as I want to pull this up here for to make sure they're tied, tied for first with Tulsa. First place with Tulsa. They have a chance to get, obviously snag that number one seed, regular season championship, which is always critically important, um, but. Tulsa's going to make them sweat, aren't they, Bryson? So what's the outlook right now for UCF men's soccer as they head into this weekend? Well, men, the good news is, is that they're coming off of, of a very handy win, handy win against Temple, where they took advantage of limited opportunities. Despite being outshot, the Knights were able to get three goals in and also shut and shut out the Temple offensive. Gino Beebe had a great night, scored, doubled his goal total. And if you look at the clips, they were very well executed. Uh, Luca, Luca Dorado also came up with a goal as well. But, and, but I think the big, the big story on, on men's soccer and why I am much more confident in this team than I was in the first half of the season is the emergence of Tyler Levine at goalkeeper. Tyler, yeah. uh, Tyler Levine tied his career high six saves in that tempo game and to see him really get, get really get himself settled in the goalie box, I think has been a major boon for this team. So as they go into this last stretch of schedule, they have the war on I four at and on a Wednesday night, which is the day we're recording this. And then after that, they'll be playing SMU on Halloween night, which is going to be, which so Nick Taylor will be going up against his former school. Once again, check out my profile on Nick Taylor on the black and gold banner at .com. And then, plug. Yep. And then after SNU, the regular season finale at Tulsa. So unless Tulsa loses one of their two games before coming against UCF, the winner, basically the winner of the UCF Tulsa match is going to be the regular season champion for the American. So that game is going to monster be game major implication will be a, have major implications going forward this season. Elo, they're eight and four right now. The RPI is sitting at 41. Are you comfortable with that right now? Keep winning. <laughs> Just keep winning. No, so no, is what you're saying. No, keep winning. Um, many of the men's soccer. Do get Tulsa one more time. 
Well, and SMU is big. I mean, these are big matches. These are resume. SMU, you know, I've looked at a lot of the men's soccer sites. They're projecting two bids right now. It's UCF and Tulsa, but you can't count out SMU. And, Just and keep Tulsa, winning. by the way, their RPI, six. Yeah. So they're probably they're the, 11 they're, and one. I think they're a lock. I think the American will be a two-bid league, most likely. But, yeah, no, no, keep winning. Keep winning. Was one slip up, that thing drops. So I would say keep winning. Yeah, that Tulsa, that 3-2 win against Tulsa at home, God, that was such a huge win for UCF. Especially after they come up, came off that bizarre game against Memphis where they gave yeah. up three goals. Yeah. yeah. What a way yeah. to bounce back. I mean, I know they want to have that one back so bad, but um, but the, it, I tell you, that was such a huge, huge win against Tulsa, and it really springboarded this team. Um, three nothing at Temple, like you said, Bryson, and South Florida Wednesday. Uh, that match may or may not be over by the time you hear this um smu on halloween and then at home that's senior day and then uh and then that that they got a good five days off before they travel out to tulsa for that uh that collision out there that they're gonna have the uh, american championship starts wednesday november 10th yeah that's uh, the thing if you're ucf it's either you're gonna have to win at tulsa at some point the question yep. is if you win at the regular season you don't have to come back that's the big difference right because the top seed hosts unlike the women where the, in the on the women's side we were talking about earlier they kind of they kind of do it like the patriot league does their basketball tournament i think right. where the upper where the higher seated team hosts each game and then they well, just well the, o- the opening the round the opening round the oh, semifinals okay, will be hosted okay. by the, the the regular season the champion high, not regular season okay got you thank you for that yeah mm-hmm. um so it's kind of like a two week tournament in that yeah. respect so all right volleyball bryson uh they had four matches on the road uh, in uh, two consecutive weekends, and they swept them. They swept all four, including SMU and Memphis's past weekend. Um, got a little bit of a challenge uh, from uh, from uh, or, or in the uh, in the Memphis Tiger match, but in the end, this team just continues to roll. And their RPI right now, uh, I'm pulling them up right now. They're, they're 28, 27, right? 27, 27, 27, right now, right behind. Kansas <laughs> 16 and six for UCF right now. They're just that they, but I, the dominance in conference just continues at this point. Doesn't it Bryson? Oh yes, indeed. McKenna Melville is going to McKenna Melville. She has been continuing to dominate the kill, the kill statistics. She was, she led the team. She would tied the, t- for the team lead in digs in the SMU match and was second in digs in the, in the Memphis match. It just, this team is a well-oiled machine. I, I, I they're just blow, breezing through conference opponents like they're tissue paper, unless it's unless they're. I get Houston so scared when we get to this point. I'm like, when's the other Houston shoe going to drop? State. Well, the other, t- <laughs> if, if you're going to talk about where the other shoe is going to drop, I will tell you, because on Halloween, on midday, Halloween's going to be a big day on UCF campus. Let me tell you. So, because on on Halloween, they're at 1 p.m. They're going to be playing Wichita State, and. We, and I believe Eric has mentioned this before. The other two teams that have a fairly high, a fairly high RPI in the in the American are Wichita State and Houston. We beat Wichita State on the road. Now they're coming to us on Halloween. Mm-hmm. And so, aside from the from the season ending the season ending match over at Houston, if I were to to give the, the say which matches of the volleyball team could potentially lose, then those are the two that I'm watching. UCF's RPI right now, 27. Eric, Cincinnati's at 51. Uh, then you have Wichita at 54. 
Then you have Houston at 63. So that's, that's tough. Well, and and that's, yeah. And that's why, I mean, if you're, you know, teams like Wichita state, Cincinnati, for example, when you get UCF, that's almost a must win for them. Forget the conference race, just a resume standpoint. That Uh is critical uh, deal. Uh, you mentioned UCF, by the way. A couple quick, quick stats here. Miami is 14 in the RPI. Why that is important, that is possibly where UCF could end up in the NCAA tournament is go to Miami. Florida, by the way, which has started to turn things around, they're 29 in the RPI. We could see UCF Florida in the first round in Miami. That is a strong possibility, which could be the group of again? death. Again? Yeah, again, you know how they, you know how creative they are when it comes to this stuff. But also, shout out McKenna Melville, who is among the nation's leaders in points and kills. Right now, UCF Athletics, the top two athletes this year, is Caroline Delisle and McKenna Melville by far. They have been phenomenal. Let, let, this, let's go on McKenna Watch real quick. Uh, she's 11th in the country in attacks per set, 12.41. That's swings. She is seventh in the country in kills per set, 4.85. That's right. Wait, Renetta Menchikova level. Nobody yes. has gotten to that level is th- since Menchikova, which they played in a different system back then in point system. Right. Unbelievable. She's fourth in the nation. Fourth in the nation in total kills of 398. Seventh in the nation in total swings with 1,018. Has her right arm even functioned? Fifth in the points, fifth in points per set with 5.55 and tops in the country in points. It is arguably 455 that she is having. I know what you're going to say, Eric. She's having arguably the greatest individual season in UCF volleyball history. Yes, at least since Menchikova in the 90s, right. late 90s. And they had a different point system. It's her Menchikova. It's it's blows my mind away. Unbelievable. Yeah. She like, better be a she better be a, an all-American or the she, sport. She has to be first yeah. team all-American at this point. She just has to be. Yeah. If not, it's like, what are you even doing? There's yeah, no- well, then at the credibility of the sport is just is what it is. So, so and, and here's the other thing. Fans, you gotta get down and see this. Oh, yeah. You gotta get down here and see this. So Tulsa, we got Tulsa on Friday, seven. Wichita State on Halloween. We're watching, again, like Eric said, the greatest individual season put together by a UCF volleyball player, arguably in the history of the program. You're only going to see this so many more times. Go ahead, Bryson. I'm sorry. There, there is only six. There, I'll say that there's only six more home games left. There's the two this weekend with Tulsa and Wichita State, and then there's a four-game home stretch from November 11th to November 19th. So I would definitely rec- definitely recommend going out and seeing that McKenna Melville, absolute beast. I uh, you know, like she she is a grown woman. Like the, to borrow something from a certain YouTuber I watch. So, uh, but the I think a huge key though is for for this team to succeed like succeed as far as nat- nationally concerned is that McKenna Melville is all, you're obviously going to let McKenna McKenna cook. Let her do her thing, but. We have, we have to make sure that the rest of the team is able to at least be able to remain, remain and step and be aggressive and be yes. aggressive. Todd, yeah. remember Bryson, what Todd told you after the Houston loss, Houston was the more aggressive team. UCF was more tentative and you better believe, especially Wichita State, they're going to come out aggressive because this is a big match for them. UCF has to match that. If they don't, that's where they get in trouble. Oh yes, for sure. Amory, Amory, like people like Amory Watson, uh, uh, Narissa Norvac, Amber Olson, uh, we've seen some young, some young guns, Caitlin Grimes emerge. Like everybody is going to need, is going to need to step up and be able to support McKenna because 
despite the great individual seasons he's having, all-time great, she cannot do this on her own. Yeah. And that is what's going to lead UCFs to success nat- nat- naturally. I- be aggressive and just be there for McKenna. You know, if McKenna is the, the top of the pyramid, the rest of the, the rest of the team has to be able to get together and be able to support her. Yeah, you know what we've seen too? Tali Marmon did not play in that last match against Memphis. But Mackenzie Chambers, man, she just very quietly slipped in, got a nice five kills on on uh, on on twelve swings. Amory Watson spent a little time over, you know, in, a little extra time in the rotation. She was eight. She had eight kills on no errors on sixteen swings. That's a five hundred on sixteen swings. That's pretty good. So I think I think right now, you know, with Tali, you know, uh, kind of on the shelf a little bit, we're seeing Anne Marie Watson kind of shift her pie chart more from defense to offense. And I'm liking what I'm seeing, man. She's looking real good. And Narissa, um, you know, Marissa, Narissa Moravic, once again, uh, errorless performance on double digit swings, six against Memphis, six kills against Memphis. Boy, she's a quiet warrior, man. I just love watching her play. Uh, 16 and six, nine and one in conference. Like we said, next home match, uh, Friday, October 29th against Tulsa, 7 p.m. Uh, and then also, uh, don't forget, Halloween Sunday, 1 p.m. against Wichita State. All right. Uh, moving straight ahead, Bryson Turner. A um, little bit of uh, little bit of fun this weekend also with tennis. Uh, the ITA regionals took place. Uh, Trey Hildebrand, regional finalist. Congrats to Trey. Uh, you know, he, dro- he lost in the final to uh, – uh, Andres Martin in three sets uh, of uh, Georgia Tech, who's number 31 in the country. But you know, Trey is uh, positioning himself well, I think, for uh, for early season ranking here, and definitely the number one guy as we head into as we get ready to head into the uh, the uh, spring season. No. Oh yes, I completely agree with that. It's Trey Hildebrand is not nationally ranked in the next. Uh, in the next ranking that comes out, then then that ranking system is flawed because <laughs> he he but and not, not just in singles but also in doubles with Bach and Pavel. Uh, Hildebrand and Pavel are number three in the country right now in the in in the, as a doubles pair. And with that and with that, I, yeah, I think they're going to be they're going to it's going to be a very good season for Trey. Uh, however, I do want to make sure I highlight uh, freshman J.C. Roddick, who made it all the way to the quarterfinals. Yeah, John's and nephew, he's right? He's a freshman. Yes, he is the nephew of John of head coach John Roddick. And he managed to upset number 85-ranked Florida State redshirt freshman Louis Peroy in two sets. He ended up losing in the quarterfinals to a junior from North Florida. So I am. this is a, a guy that, that well, while Trey Hillebrand can, is clearly the number one, I, I think the, the number one on this team, I would just pay a little bit of attention to J.C. Roddick because I think we could see him really make some strides this year, especially as at least as a as far as freshmen go. All right. And then uh, women's tennis also, he had a little bit of action. They were in, not in the ITAs, but they were invited up to Georgia, up to Athens to play at uh, the Georgia Invitational. Um it wasn't the best of uh, best of weekends in terms of singles, but uh, uh, a little bit of a, a little bit of help from doubles too, though. Uh, Bryson, they look pretty good with uh, Maria Mattel, Maria Mattel, and Nandini Sharma um, going two and one in their three matches. Yes, indeed, doubles was definitely the highlight. I I would I would say. Look, 
Florida, Georgia, and Princeton are very good tennis programs. Very great. You see them. You see them the best in the country, no uh, doubt. Yes, plenty of them in the top and the top and you know in the ranking national rankings. And you know this and this is one of those times where you know in the fall they kind of you know play around with some things because because spring is kind of their main time. So invitationals like this allow you to kind of see where the team stacks up. And, you know, it, it makes sense why they would lose as many matches as they did. Is it disappointing? Yes. But it, it, it kind of shows, I think, where they need to improve going, in, going into the spring. That said, very for Mattel and Sharma, absolutely well done going two and one and going two and one in that invitational. So I wouldn't take this too much, take this down to heart too much. Uh, we're going to be seeing them in the uh, we're going to be seeing the um, men and probably a couple of men and women players selected to the ITA fall nationals, which are going to be in San Diego from November 4th to the 7th. And then the women's tennis has one more invite, which is in North Florida in on November 12th to 14th to conclude the fall schedule. So we're starting to wrap up the fall schedule with tennis. And I think that just that don't just don't take too, too much of it to heart because the spring is where things are really going to get to get I guess in terms of I want to I want to say it matters more but that is the, t- the time when tennis it just matters happens. more right. yeah <laughs> uh, I, I didn't want to say that but. To, quote, to, to quote some of our friends from another conference all right let, let's wrap it up here for the uh, black oh, and gold banner you had one more yeah one more promotion Cross country, the AAC cross country championship is going to be at 7:50 a.m. on ESPN Plus on Friday. So if you're able to get yourself up, that is certainly something something to watch. We have a great young cross country program. Valerie Lastra is going to be, is going to be there. She's been breaking records this year. Uh, Eric and I talked to Amory Blaney, who which you can watch on our YouTube on our Black Liverpool. Yeah, in fact, let's let's listen instead of you. With all due respect, Bryce, instead of you <laughs> talking cross country, let's play a clip of Anne Marie here talking about Valerie Lestra and this young UCF roster, which she's gotten to know. Is Valerie Lestra, who was the freshman of the year in the American in the spring, which is kind of a weird year. She's having a unique year in that she's having yeah. two freshman years because they had their cross country year in like January, February, and now they're having their normal cross country year. Uh, they're getting set for the conference championships and all that. Uh, you've obviously have obviously followed a little bit because you are aware yeah. of what she's been doing. You can relate to her, probably one of the few that can. Uh, what have been your impressions on her from what you've, you've, you know, and describe what she's going through as a freshman. And there are people that are comparing her to you in a, in a lot of yeah. ways, which is obviously a compliment. You're the standard now, which that in itself has to feel weird, but yes, you have to be proud, proud, uh, proud yeah. that people are, Hey, this is the standard now. And somebody's trying to meet it. Yeah. I, I mean, I hope she takes it as a compliment sees it as um, some fun competition. Um, Cause I feel like I talked to these CF ladies at the beginning of the pandemic or last year. And it just was so cool to like see the new faces on the team and just kind of hopefully share a little bit of my story, learn about a little bit about their story. Um, and yeah, I mean, I hope she's excited about it and having fun with it. I'm not really sure how the seasons work as far as COVID does, because that's confusing to me being out of it and then whatnot. It's confusing to us too. Don't worry. It's confusing (laughs) to us and we're covering it. Yeah. So, um, 
yeah, I hope that she just sees um, all these little successes that she has now and just keeps building on top of those because I think that is really how I were I was really successful was just kind of making those little improvements and small victories on my end personally and then as well as with your team and then kind of having those to move you forward and reach for bigger goals. Um, as long as, yeah, she can stay in and just still have fun with it. I could see her as, you know, a senior, it's very hard to make it all four or five years in athletics. So, um, as long as she can stick it out and loves it, I think that she'll break a lot of records. To be honest. <laughs> Yeah, that, so, yeah. Last year's actually freshman time is the now the ninth in the tank six k is now the ninth fastest in pro in program history. Which, by the way, you hold the top seven times in, in this six k. But Lastra is just one of many young of many young people on the cross country team. If you look at the roster, while COVID does make things a little make things a little bit. I, may, I wouldn't say misrepresented, but it certainly does complicate matters. But according yeah. to designation. All but I think four of the cross country te- of the cross country team are freshmen. What uh, freshmen? Have you ever been part of a team that is that young? And how do you think that would impact the dy- dynamics of, of the team going now and going forward? I mean, I would say it's always um, really good to start out each year with a pretty decent sized freshman squad. Um, it's really hard to get transfers into the school you'll never have as many transfers as you do freshmen so the bigger the freshman group I would say the better um thinking back I definitely was probably the last it was I remember there was me and one other girl left by our fifth year uh, which not everyone takes a fifth year but definitely even by my senior year a lot of people don't make it through the whole college um circuit so Uh, I think starting out with a big freshman group allows everyone to kind of build together and just kind of figure out each year, like you're more familiar with who you're running with. And then you're just going to continue to add on more um, younger people who will just hopefully join in. And then that's how you create that really successful culture, I feel like on a team and which I think coach Jackson is definitely building. He looks like uh, he has a blast with them and vice versa. Um, so I just see like a really happy relationship there as well, which I think is huge. Um, so as long as they keep doing that, the program will just continue to build, um, which is what I see. And, you know, UCF has been getting a lot of recruits uh, and new teammates. So that's good. Cause if you miss out on say a freshman recruiting class, you get one or even none, then it's hard to build on that. So when you, when you lose a whole, group of seniors um it definitely makes it a lot harder less bodies and cross country is kind of all about getting that top the top few across the line so um yeah you mentioned you spoke to them prior to the uh, the pandemic so you obviously met dana boone the head coach and then obviously brian jackson you speak of who runs cross, cross country what, what what's your impression on coach boone and coach jackson and what they're doing at ucf yeah so i think i met with i'm trying to think I met with coach Jackson and the team via zoom. Um, so everybody was kind of in their dorm rooms and we just kind of talked about, um, their up and coming season. Uh, so I would make it what the 2020 fall season where, um, I think coach Jackson wanted me to just talk to them about how, like, even if there's not 
an official cross country season that was allowed to happen, um, what that would look like for them. And, um, I basically told them, you know, I've been, I've been training. I haven't had that many race opportunities and usually people find the racing opportunities a little bit more fun, um, than just the training part. Cause it's kind of, you get to see your results of what the work that you've been putting in. And I just kind of was like, I told them don't lose faith. Um, we'll be out there on the course and you just want to be ready when the time comes. Um, and that's what I said, coach Jackson, I feel like made it really fun for them and hopefully kept their spirits. So it seems like kept their spirits pretty high. Um, not too bummed about not having as many races as they would have liked. Um, but I think they got a few, they got a few races in there still. So, um, it was really cool to talk to them. And then I did stop by, I believe on the UCF campus and meet coach Boone in person um she was probably like who is this girl with like her parents or something waiting outside my office but I just kind of wanted to introduce myself um I have a lot of memories probably good and bad in the coach's office so I was like I just want to see what it's like to be in there one more time um and just see how you know the team's doing and I really like like what all of the coaches are doing there and um it's really cool to see because I just want I want success for the UCF um, cross country and track programs to continue. Um, that was my hope was to maybe pave the way for future athletes and show them like what you can do, whether you're going to like, you know, a school that's well known for their cross country and track programs. You don't necessarily have to go to one of those, um, to, you know, make it to nationals or whatnot. Um, so I really hope that all the other girls can just kind of see that, uh, instead of looking at me as like competition, uh, cause I definitely would talk to them, any of them, anytime they wanted to, they can reach out to me cause social media makes it so easy. Uh, so yeah, that's what I told the team when we met on zoom. I was like, feel free to message me about anything. Cause I, I mean, I do a lot of running and a little bit of working, but other than that, I'm, I'm pretty flexible and love talking about running with other like-minded people. So, uh, definitely wanted to leave that door open and I follow a bunch of the girls now after meeting them. So it was pretty cool. <laughs> nice save there, Eric. I appreciate that. All right. Three, two, one. That is Anne-Marie Blaney, who, by the way, will be a contributor to the Black and Gold Banneret's coverage of Cross Country alongside I Bryce and Trey. How about that, huh? Yeah. huh? Oh, yes. I am very excited. I was texting with her. I texted with her yesterday, and she is and she's very excited. She definitely – she loves the idea of contributing to it and, me, you know – listening to her talk about this like trust me trust me when i say she knows what she's talking about so a lot more I, than the three of us combined has no oh, doubt so yes so 7 50 a.m on friday espn plus the american athletic conference get, get your coffee oh yes for sure get your coffee so, i might i may or may not be streaming it in the car as i drive my kids yeah. to school and then Anne Marie will give us an Anne Marie will provide some analysis for us, and you can check out our full interview with her on our YouTube page as well. We talk about what she was up to. She qualified for the Olympics and a bunch of other stuff. It's that's also on our YouTube page. So make sure you subscribe and like. Yes, on YouTube. And by the way, night shift. Some changes coming up with night shift. Some good changes. We are going to be live night shift after the Temple game on not just our YouTube channel but also on Twitter and Facebook. So all of your platforms, where you, whichever platform you prefer, you can watch Night Shift on that platform following the Temple game. And I'm also going to start putting it, I, I'm now able to put it on our podcast feed. 
So we're going to start having a night shift. You've all been asking. Which we'll be putting up. You guys, you guys have asked. We have listened and we are delivering. And actually, we do have to honestly thank J.P. Gilbert because he gave me the boot in my tail that I needed to try and to actually get this done. That's uh, what he tends to do. I know. So uh, so we're going to do that now. Don't forget, Night Shift will be a podcast that will go up right at, they'll go up at, right after the live show is done uh, on our podcast feed. So make sure you subscribe to us uh, wherever you get your podcasts on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you're an Android user. Uh, and also, if you also if you already subscribed, leave us a rating. Let us know how we're doing. We thank you so much for listening. And thanks again to everybody who reached out to me after my health troubles this past week. I really, really appreciate it. We got to go. For Bryson and Eric and Drew, I'm Jeff. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, Black and Gold Banneret.com. Enjoy the weekend. We'll see you next week. <laughs>